And we fight pretty good Getting goals is our job And we get goals good Looking good We are Carlisle United Hello everyone, you're listening to the Brunton Bugle The number one place to get your Kai fix in the podcast world I'm Lee Rooney And I'm Adam Siffin Very much after the Lawnmare show for United As they follow up the impressive win at Bolton With a drab display and a loss at home to Leighton Orient We look back on that 1-0 loss to the O's before looking ahead to this weekend's long trip to the south coast to face unbeaten Portsmouth. Yeah, not not a great performance from United last weekend, I think it's fair to say, compared against the the Bolton game. Um, In case you haven't guessed there, everyone, that's a new voice you can hear. That That is uh, Adam Tiffin who's joining us this week. Adam, how are you doing? I'm not too bad. Glad to glad to be part of this, and you know it's such a great podcast for a club like Carlisle to have. And yeah, I'm just excited to be here. Thank you very much, Adam. Yeah, to tell you a bit, bit about yourself first, obviously, because obviously I think people know me and Dan and Mike really, and occasionally we get Greg, and I think we'll get to know Greg now and Nick we've had on as well. But just I think maybe it's just worth telling yourselves about yourself. Yeah, well, some people might know me from the stuff I've done on Twitter. It mainly started mm-hmm. with the uh, transfer related threads and things like that that I started producing uh, sort of around May time looking at players Carlo could potentially bring in out of the four or five of them that I did I only got one right which was JJ Coyote <laughs> which was the last sign we made but it's better to have one than nothing um, but yeah I've been training as a, as a journalist the last few years I've been I've worked for various newspapers worked for a football club called Marine who people might know from the FA Cup yeah, and my local clubs, yeah. a few years ago so I've done some of the media for them um but yeah i'm been a carl united fan all my life had a season ticket from probably when i was about five till time i went to university so yeah this is the club that i'll live and die by no matter how much it tries to kill me <laughs> good stuff well i get to everyone to know you a little bit about you so we'll, we'll get straight into it um first up obviously i've got to tell everyone about our sponsor uh, this season, for the third season in a row, of course, we are sponsored by the Car United Sports Club London Branch. London Branch uh, does a fantastic job in terms of fundraising for the club and stuff in terms of uh, away tickets for fans and things like that and travel for away games. Um, you can join them wherever you live. You don't have to live in the southeastern London. You don't have to live in Carlisle. You can join them if you live in Milan. You can join them if you live in Madrid. If you live in, I'm trying to think of another city in Europe, begins with an M now, Malmo in, in Sweden, somewhere like that. Yes, if anywhere you live like that, you can join the London Branch. Just go to the website, carlislelondonbranch.org to find out more information. Or if you're in a away game, you see one of them selling the Hit the Bar fanzine, just uh, give them a little tap on the shoulder and ask them for a bit more information. I'm sure they'll help you out. Um, right, Adam, we always start with a question of the week. Uh, Mike has done it for us this week, so let's see what question it is. It'll probably relate to Portsmouth, it usually is. Although he's had a bit of a theme going the last few weeks, trying to link them together, but I don't think he can stretch that this far, so let's see what the question is. In 2015, Danny Granger scored a last-ditch right-footed effort to secure a 2-2 draw against Portsmouth at Brunton Park. Who scored our first goal in that game? Ooh, that's a good question. I remember that goal. I mean, that, that goal was a belter, wasn't it? It was just with his, his standing leg from 30-odd yards. It was incredible. Oh, he scored There's too goal. many of those goals to remember for me. Those long, pa- those 30-yard Danny Granger's having a pop. Going in at the Warwick end. Part, part of me wants to think it was Danny Granger as well that scored the other one. But then that seems a li- little bit too Penalty? obvious. 
Danny Granger penalty, yeah, maybe. maybe a penalty. We'll save it for the for the start of the second half of the show. It's when we usually get the answer from it. So uh, we'll see what he's got to say there. Let's just get into the news section now. There's a few little bits to cover this week. Um, first up, uh, the reserves. Um, well, they've, they've been getting a bit of stick from Simmer and the coaching staff in recent weeks. The the fringe plays in terms of their efforts in games such as the the trophy game and the uh, some of the reserve games behind closed doors. Um, but it sounds like it was much better from them at Penrith in midweek where they beat Blackpool 3-2 in the Central League Cup um, at Frenchville Park. Um, did you get to this one, Adam? I don't know if you're back up in Carl these days. or Yeah, yeah. I'm back up in Carl now, although I've had trips back and forth to, to <laughs> your current hometown of Liverpool uh, over the last week or so. Um, no, I didn't get to this one, but by the sounds of it, it was a much better performance and there was a bit of life actually shown by the people who haven't been getting regular first team minutes as opposed to the previous performances that have been shown over the last few weeks that have been scathing, scathingly reviewed by the coaching staff, as you said. Um, it's also nice for people like Butterworth and Ablade to try and get a, a run out and get some goal contributions under the belt, even if it's in the Central League Cup, it's, it's something rather than nothing and it gives them a bit of confidence going ahead. Yeah, it was a pretty strong team that... Uh, that- Gav Skelton was in charge of uh, for this game. Um, basically, eight of them were first-team players and the other three were uh, Will Madison at uh, right-back and the two midfields were um, Fitzpatrick and uh, Allen. I think Allen actually is a right-back. I think he plays right-back quite a lot for the youth team. I think he did in pre-season at Chorley, I seem to remember. So I think he'd maybe just slotting in there into midfield. But um, but yeah, other than that, you had the likes of Barkley, Whelan, Robinson... Um, who else? Butterworth, as you mentioned, uh, Blade, um, Edmondson, and Plange all, all started, and obviously Anderson Net. Um, yeah, Butterworth's an interesting one. He's, he scored the opening goal. Dan was actually there, I should say. Dan gave us a little bit of a, an update on how this went, and he said Butterworth was very impressive, and, and the goal he scored was a belt. The club haven't put any highlights up yet, so I'm not sure if they were there filming it or not. But um, yeah, he, he was involved in all three goals by the sounds of things. So. You kind of hope that because he's, he's not even been on the bench in recent weeks. Maybe this is a chance for him to show what he can do. Yeah, well, I think he's been somewhat plagued of injuries, although it's sort of been a little bit like Dylan McGeoch, where they've been, you know, not sort of long-term things, but just mm. picking up things here and there. But when we signed him, all the comments from uh, fans of clubs who've had him previously have all said there'll be five games in a row where you don't even notice he's there and then one game he'll turn up and he'll be absolutely unplayable. I'm hoping this isn't the one game because if he's going to be unplayable <laughs> in any game, this is not the game to do it in. But it's it's some life in the team yeah. and it's some something to hold on to for them. It's something to build on. And I think with the likes of Barkley playing, it's starting to build a little bit of competition in the group just having him back because he's somebody yeah. who could genuinely just come straight into the first team and nobody would be that bothered about it the rest of them are a bit sort of hit and miss as to whether people would be annoyed or not as to them coming into the first team but yeah I think it's definitely something to build on but probably need to continue this form rather than just just being a one-off performance yeah, definitely need to hear more consistently from Butterworth, uh, for sure. Um, on to the next bit of the news. And um, yeah, so you'll notice that we didn't mention Jaden Harris there in terms of playing that reserve game. And he didn't actually feature in the matchday squad for the Orient game, having appeared in both the Bolton game and the Forest game in the trophy. Um, and it turns out that he's uh, secured himself a loan move for three months down to Eastleigh in Hampshire in uh, the National League for till the middle of January. Um 
Were you surprised by this one, Adam? I'm, I'm not overly surprised. I, I, we've been saying on the pod for a while that he really needs to get some game time, doesn't he? Yeah, I'm not surprised by him making the move to that level because it's going to guarantee him or should guarantee him some game time. Yeah. If he's not going to get game time there, then there's no point in him seeing the no. next year and a half of his contract out at Carl United. But I was a bit surprised at the fact, one, I was surprised when he wasn't on the bench because it mm-hmm. meant that we had no midfielders on the bench yeah. for the game against Leighton Orient, which ultimately, I mean, none of the team was good, but the midfield wasn't uh, any better than no. anyone else. Um, but I was surprised by the timing of it just because likes of Charters are injured, McGeoch's slowly coming back, but he's not really been able to find his feet at the club yet. So we are a bit short, especially with Kai Nugent, who mm. he's 18, so it wouldn't be a big part of the squad at this stage, you'd hope, for him uh, and for the sake of the quality of the squad. But good move for him personally. I think it could have been held off a little bit by Carlisle if they could. It's one of those ones, isn't it, I suppose, that Eastleigh is desperate to get someone in and if we wait any longer, they'll get someone else and then we're stuck with midfield who's yeah, not true. going to play much football. That's, that's the, I suppose, the balance that Simmer's got there. I do agree with you. I was a little bit surprised that he's gone at this point because, like you said, it does leave us feeling a little bit short in there. I should say he can be recalled after 28 days. That's the way that the 90-day uh, loan rules work. So at the moment, he's loans until the middle of January, but obviously if we had some real injury issues in a month's time, we could call him back. And there's no indication yet whether he can play in the FA Cup or not. I wonder, probably, I'd imagine we'd say no to that one, I'd have thought. Yeah, I think the problem with it is, is especially with, I know we've only used it for three games with this new sort of formation that we're using. We've got mm-hmm. Mont Guy and Moxon, and obviously Gibson pushed a bit more forward. At the moment, they're the only three midfielders we've got, yeah. and they're going to have to start every single game if we persist with this, because I don't want to see John Mellish that far up the pitch otherwise. I know he's capable of doing it, but he's just not got the quality of a midfielder. And he's doing so well in defence. Like, <laughs> you don't really want to move yeah, him. Worth, yeah, but I think he's better suited to... His capabilities are more suited to being a defender than being Absolutely. in that midfield role where he's having to do yeah. both. Yeah. Um yeah, I I think it's a good like I said, it's a good move for, for Jaden Harris, but there's been a lot of rumours about people suggesting could we get an uh, a free transfer to bring someone in. It's definitely a possibility. Well, interestingly, when we were talking about you coming on, um, you did mention that you've been looking at a few potential free agent signings. So any names out there you think might be uh, possibilities? Yeah, I mean, there's one that I've seen touted about that I think is a little bit unrealistic is Josh Onoma, yeah, who was at Preston last year. Um, and he's been sort of in and around that championship level for quite a while now. If if Carlo were to pull it off, it'd be one of those ones where, like when Sean Maguire was being linked, I was like, oh, that's a bit of a step down for him. And then it actually happened. I was very surprised. Mm. So it could be one of those ones where he's not really found his feet at the championship level. He's not been able to play consistently. So he might think, right, I'm just going to go to a team where I'm probably going to be one of the better players and establish myself from there. But I'd be surprised with that one. Did, did Simo coach him for the England under-20s, if I remember rightly? Or have I, have I got him, or was the England under-17th he was out? I can't remember. He could, but uh, Simo was the, I think he was the 20s, 20, if I remember he, yeah. correctly, because I don't think he, yeah, because I don't, I think he was with the sort of, like, Calvert-Lewins and things like that, not like the yeah. Foldens who were a little bit younger. Yeah, that would make um, sense. So I think he, I don't know if he fell in that, into that category, but there's also others like, uh, the two ones that stand out for me from the free agent market, who have good good League One experience are Tom Pett and Dominic mm-hmm. Gape. 
Pet, who was at Port Vale last season, played 31 games for them. Somebody who'd probably be more suited to Guy's role in terms of not necessarily being as yeah. much of a creator compared to somebody like Owen Moxon, who's obviously very much a, a creative uh, player, creates a lot of chances, things like that. Um, but he's got plenty of experience, free agent, as I said, um, and would be someone who could add a bit more experience in the squad because we are, even though we've got likes of Hunt and Garner, we're not a particularly old team. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's true that, yeah. And Pet's one, I think, that I, I'd agree. He stood out to me, basically, as someone that potentially could um, could make an impact, really. But like the problem with bringing them in now is anyone you want to bring in are going to want a longer deal, probably, aren't they? And, yeah. and they're also probably yeah. not going to be ready till at least the early November. No, exactly. I, I was just double checking there. He, he was part of the under twenty side that won the uh, the World Cup uh, mm. the Simpson. So there is a link with the Simpson there. So you never know. But I, it I definitely think makes it more likely. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I agree with that. I don't think it's it, it's probably not quite realistic at the moment. Maybe come January if he hasn't found a club, possibly. And we're, you know, we're, when we're looking to strengthen the squad at that point, he might be a target then, possibly. But yeah, interesting to see what happens yeah. there. Um, last bit of news before we review the Oran game is something about the Oran game, unfortunately. Um, yeah, it's a bit disappointing this one. Um, again, the behavior of a small number of fans have hit the headlines. Um, for those who aren't aware, uh, in the second, I think it was in the first half, about five minutes before half time, a, a firework was let off in the Warwick Road end, um, behind one of the Simo's army banners, um, that are in there. and the club's already under investigation from the FA about their fan behaviour from last season. There was an FA assessor at the game, which I know Nigel Clibbins talked about um, on the official website. And it's just another thing that's going to get marked against us. And it, it's really, really silly, isn't it, Alan, that doing stuff like that. I know kids see, you know, people throwing pyros and stuff on the pitch and fine. But even this is even a step up from that. An actual firework. We saw it happen with Barrow last season when they played against us. It's just stupid, yeah. isn't it? It's it's one of those things where you look at the stuff that the Warwick Road End lads have done and all the stuff they've done yeah. to rebuild yeah. the atmosphere in that end, whether it's, you know, doing all the painting and giving up their time to yeah. sort all that stuff out and, you know, reintegrating the drum into the ground and bringing them to away games and things like that. And all that good work is then just completely tarred by the brush of something like this where you've got one or two, yeah, frankly, idiots who have brought in some how what goes through your head to think you know what this game needs a firework yeah like that's just it's it's so ludicrous to think that somebody would one be able to get away with it and two think it's acceptable so actually let it off in the stadium because i was sat um in the new newly named um in the newly named east stand and i just heard this massive explosion and the just Mm. people uh just spreading out and getting away from whatever had happened. I didn't know if somebody had, you know, been hit by whatever had gone off and they were needing medical assistance or what, but it was just, yeah, I, you, yeah. you just can't believe this stuff. From where I was in the paddock, it was a hell of a loud noise. And I, my first thoughts were one of two things. One that I thought, well, because I couldn't see actually any sort of any flash of light or anything because it was behind the banner. But I presumed it was one either a, a car's backfired very near the ground and it sounds loud or two. It, it, then it was when it was obvious it was in the Warwick Road, and it was kind of like, oh, maybe like someone's put the thing through the drum and it's made a very loud noise. But actually, I what I do is after the games, I, I'll go back and watch some of the game on the iFollow uh, match replay, 
And I went and actually found the moment when that happened, completely by accident, because actually it was just after Owen Moxon's free kick, which was our only chance of the first half. And um, and actually you watch, it must get dropped, and then the, the people part where it is. So someone has known they've dropped that and they've told everyone to get, get back. So... Really frustrating. Um, the club have been appealing for witnesses in this. I know they've got some CCTV footage and hopefully they'll be able to track down the perpetrator soon. But um, yeah, if you've got information, go to the club website and uh, there's details there where you can uh, contact them. Right, time to... I don't really want to, but it's time to review the Orient game. Cal United nil, Leighton Orient 1. Not a great game this one, Adam, I think. Not one for the purists. No, lethargic is the word that comes to mind mm. when you think about Kyle Knight's 90-minute performance against Leighton Orient. You can maybe argue for the last 10 minutes showed a little bit of life, but it's, it's one of those things where you, you put it to you know a bit of a hangover from the week prior where they had the last-minute equaliser and then the 3-1 win at Bolton and all the players are just sort of ruined of adrenaline and just haven't got been able to get themselves up again. Um, or do you look at it and say the squad's getting a bit thin and they're all pretty tired because it's probably one of the two. I don't think it was necessarily the fact that Leighton Orient was so much better than us. We just didn't look at it from minute one. I think Orient were very well drilled. I think that's the thing that stood out to me and it's one thing we'll talk about when we talk about them later on in uh, this review. But yeah, I think I agree. I think there's an, there's an extent of maybe a little bit after the Lord Mayor show, but also an element of, like you said, it, we're working with quite a, a thin selection of players at the moment and, and they're, they're struggling a little bit in terms of energy. It's difficult for them to get themselves up every single game in that sense, I suppose. Um, team selection-wise, were you, I wasn't really surprised, was it really, that they named an unchanged team? No, I wasn't expecting any changes and I don't think anybody could complain about the squad that was picked. Um, obviously, retrospectively, you might argue otherwise, but I don't see even retrospectively what you could have done to have improved that squad the only thing and I think it's maybe something that we'd plan to get on to is the uh, substitutions or the timing of them yeah definitely Um, in terms of the chances and incidents that kind of thing I mean first half was dominated by Orient in terms of the chances Um, Holy made a a couple of particularly good saves early on there was one to tip a ball over a corner um, and then from the follow-up corner, it came out to El, El Mazzuni, who hit a, an incredible shot from about 20 yards that smashed off the bar. And I think Holy did brilliantly, actually, to recover. What I'd say is, though, uh, Satorio should be burying that second chance, shouldn't he, with the open goal? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a really good chance for him, that. Um, and then not long after that, uh, Satorio, yeah, he gets his goal, doesn't he? And uh, there's been a bit of debate about this one. What's your? Well, I'll explain the goal anyway for those who haven't seen it, which most people will have done. But basically, Orient had a bit too much time in their own half to to pick the ball, and uh, Piggott's deep in his own half, not really pressed properly by Moxon. Um, plays a through ball for uh, Satirio that um, Holy comes charging out to try and clear, but Satirio gets there just before him, pokes the ball through his legs, and then from a tight angle. From where I stand in the paddock, I thought at first, I couldn't tell if it was going to go in or not. He was so tight. But at the last second, he sort of bobbled in towards the goal and and gave him a 1-0 lead. Straight out question here, Adam. Is that Thomas Shirley's fault, that goal? Yes, but not entirely. The one thing I think that this new formation has done negatively 
is that the centre-backs and Guy, one, aren't communicating properly and they're getting pulled all over the pitch. So there's no alignment between the defenders because mm-hmm. one of the Leighton Orient strikers would drop deep to receive the ball and the other one would go long. And Mellish, or they'd swap sides and Mellish would be trying to say to Lavelle, take this man, I'll take the other man. And then there was just confusion. So I think that's probably partially what led to the ball actually getting in behind. But Holy, I think in that situation with the angle that Satiri used at, does he need to come charging up? Because even if he gets the ball there, it's quite a tight angle for him mm. to get a shot off immediately. Um, so I'd put it partially down to Barkley and the awareness and communication, but also Holy has to take some blame because like a lot of people on Twitter have said, if that was Anderson, he'd be getting pelters. So I think it's fair that we have to give it the same treatment to yeah. Holy. Yeah, it's one of those ones that in, in real time when it actually happened, I thought he had to come out. I thought he didn't have much choice and he's, done, he's tried to be decisive and he, he's just been beaten to it by Satiru. But actually looking back on it now, oh, having watched the footage back, I was kind of like, oh, actually, no, he didn't really need to. It was a bit wide and Lavelle was fairly level with uh, Satiru, so he probably could have stayed in his goal. It's one of those ones where... It's frustrating because actually early on he, he dealt with everything really well. He'd come and claim crosses, he'd made his saves, and the rest of the game he was perfectly fine. It's just that one lapse that's cost us in this one. But you know, it's the it's only been the real. Case. It's go been on, the case on. so many times this year where there's just been one or two just little lapses, and it's what's cost us. And that's really you can put it down to the step up in level where you can't give teams yeah. of this quality chances to to punish you because they will. Absolutely. Interesting, obviously, you mentioned about Pickett there, not picking him up when he drops deep. Looking at the whoscore.com stats for this, he was the man of the match. He got 8.0, and I'm not actually that surprised by that because I thought he was excellent. I thought he did drag our defenders around the pitch a little bit, and as a Tiger man, did a really, really good job. Didn't have that many chances himself, didn't really take the ones he had. But in terms of creativity, he was a real focal point for them, wasn't he? Yeah. Well, I think what Leighton Orient did well is that clearly... They'd sort of knew, even with this new formation, what Carlisle were going to do because mm. Bolton did it a bit with their two strikers where Lavelle and Mellish were sort of struggling to communicate a bit and not sure whose man was which and things like that. But they were also incredibly uh, effective in their um, efforts to reduce the amount of time that the ball was in play because shouts of Stevenage were heard from <laughs> behind me of the performance or lack of performance that Stevenage put in when they came to Carlo last year. I think, the, what was the ball only in for like 45 minutes of the game or something yeah. like that? Yeah, 42. Like, you know, very, even worse. <laughs> very good at using uh, the referee's lack of awareness to their time wasting um, yeah. to get the result. But, you know, fair play to them. If Carlo had done it, we'd say that's a, that's a smart thing to do. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you on that one. And, and yeah, <laughs> They had one big chance just before the break where um, Satirio was back through on goal again. But this time, Hurley reacted really well to come out and smother the ball. Into the second half, it was mostly United that had the chances. And there was one chance for El Mazzuni at the far post, which he put into the side netting. But beyond that, uh, Garner had a really good flicked header that um, was pushed well behind by um, the O's stopper Brin. And then Terry Blade had the best chance probably though sort of bundled his way through on goal, didn't he? There wasn't really much thought into it, but gets through and smashes one off the post. Well, he's been brought in for his pace and that lad does not know how to just not be 100% at all times. Everything he does is just full force. Yeah. 
no care for what's around, just go for it. Um, and that was representative in the dribbles that he took to get to the shot and the shot he actually took because he hit it with some power. And I thought initially the keeper has got a save on it to put it onto the post. But obviously it was uh, just given us a goal kick in the end. But that was, yeah, the only chance where I thought Carlo could have actually scored, which is a, a poor reflection. Yeah, it's pretty uh, damning, isn't it, really, in terms of the performance overall. Um, yeah, looking at some of the talking points I've got down here, you might have some of your own as well, Adam. Um, we've got to talk about the goalkeeper situation then again, haven't we, really? Because we sort of discussed it there. Um, kind of feels like it was sorted, and, and now a goal like that goes in and suddenly the debate's reopened and we sort of agree it's Harley's fault the goal but not entirely his fault I think there's other elements of the goal that could have been better um, do you think we've got do you think he's enough to get us through to January at least and maybe potentially get a reinforcement in that role in that sense yeah I don't I, I understand why people might say oh he's made mistakes we have to reopen the conversation for me I think it's if he now, if Simo now reintroduced Anderson into that team, it would it would prov- uh, create such a diversion in the fan base. Yeah. In terms, of, it's, it, you don't want such a big talking point. You want to just now that Anderson's opened the door. Holy did really well in the prior two games. I think even in this game, he did well in terms of making the saves. He obviously just yeah. had this one one thing that uh, he made a poor error on but like we said it's not necessarily 100% his fault we should look at yeah. some of the ones that Anderson made and I thought in the Stevenage game he was amazing some of the saves he made but the mistakes just weren't it wasn't enough to balance out and justify his position in the squad so for me Holy stays in the squad and he does through till January unless something major happens and he starts you know, giving away penalties every week but yeah. yeah, it's it's something you don't want to have hanging over you, but unfortunately it is. You, you also have the bonus with him, isn't it, in terms of where he dominates on set pieces at least. Oh, yeah. It, it takes a little bit of threat away from the opposition in that sense. Um, yeah, that's one thing that I saw from Anderson in the games that he did play. Yeah. He always looked to be scrambling in the box whenever mm-hmm. a ball went over his head. It just it wasn't that... You want that sort of certainty and assurity with a goalkeeper, and he just... Yeah. It didn't always provide that, and I think Holy yeah. does more so. Yeah, Joe Garner, um, he's done pretty well since coming back into the team, into the starting eleven. But that's the third game in a row he started, and he's played almost the full ninety minutes in all three. Um, he's thirty-five now. Can we really be relying on him to do that every week? Is it, is it maybe a case of this weekend we look to freshen it up up front? I think in this game, it's one where you're maybe not expected to win, so you can, and we're going to be on the back foot a lot of the time, probably against a, a very good Portsmouth side, so it's one way maybe you could start plunge because of the pace he's got and things like that. But I think going into the season, if somebody says at this stage, obviously injuries are causing the situation to happen mm-hmm. because of JJ Coyote. But if somebody had said Joe Garner is probably going to be our main striker, I'd have said... God, we're in for a long season because I don't even I don't think he's been. I know a lot of people really thought he did well against Bolton. I thought he did well, but you know, obviously took the penalty off Gibbo, missed it. It's one of those things where I looked at my. I was stood with some of my friends at the Bolton game. We turned to each other and went, "God, do we miss JJ Coyote? It's just somebody who can provide both that hold up mm-hmm. play and the thing." And I think. It's unfortunate that he's got injured and it's unfortunate that Joe Garner is having to play as much minutes at his age. But 
yeah, it's it's a tough one because what other option do Carlisle have? Yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? There's, there's no other options at the moment. And that's the reason why we're having to use him because truth is, Edmonton's been a big disappointment this season for a start. Plange has been okay in spells, but not that great. And I think he probably sees um, Maguire as a bit more of a second striker, really, doesn't he? So you're basically put in a situation where he hasn't really got much choice but to, to play Joe in these games. Yeah, I think Maguire, as well as the first game, against Leighton Orient where I thought, oh, you really don't look on it today. Like yeah. He's always had, especially at the start of the season, he was a, a bit of a beacon of light up front where we just mm. looked so clueless, but he was making smart runs and things like that. But yeah, I think it was just a just didn't case of everyone was off. So it just sort of rubs off. Yeah, absolutely. I hate to be picking on a player, but talking about players who were off for this game, Finn back. I don't think he actually played that bad in the first half, but second half, he had about a 10 or 15 minute spell where he just kept losing the ball and everything was going wrong for him. And in the end, gets hooked for Edmonton, doesn't he? And he puts Alfie McCallman right back yeah. for the remaining 10 minutes. Um, yeah, it's one of those ones. Does he maybe need a little bit of a break maybe at the back possibly as well? Again, what other option? I know we've got Jack Ellis, but... But he's, he had an injury but, in midweek, didn't he? So, yeah, yeah, and what other option to Carl have? Yeah, it, there was one point... I'd, not sure how much football you've I mean I'd stopped playing football a long time ago but you have those right, times so. when you when you're playing and you just think the the world's collapsing around you and nothing's going right you can't pick a simple pass and that was happening to Finn in that 10 to 15 minutes but I also think what doesn't help is him and Ablade have absolutely no rapport there'd be so many times when Ablade fakes to go in behind and then comes back to receive it short and then Finn will go over the top or the other way around where he goes in behind then Finn plays it short and it gets intercepted. And Finn's having a massive go at him for, you know, not mm. helping him out. And it's one of those things where you just you have to be able to have that relationship. When I played at school, there's a, a, a lad called Ardo I played with who was the quickest lad in our school. And for some reason, he always wanted the ball to feet. He never wanted to go in behind even though he was quicker than everyone. And it took me a few games of learning actually what he wanted. So I think that's something they need to build up that relationship and sort of get a bit of a better understanding. Because it happened at Bolton as well. There were so many times yeah. where the same thing would happen where there'd be misplaced passes just because they just didn't understand what they were going to do. Yeah, I think you're right there in terms of that. It'll take a little bit of time because obviously Oblado is only getting these sub appearances at the moment. And, and possibly the fact that Maguire didn't have the greatest game maybe didn't help back as well as much maybe in terms of the cover he got at the back. Yeah, well, I think... It was a bit odd because in the second half, I don't know if you noticed it, but I thought Maguire went a bit too central, mm, which didn't yeah. have much width. And whenever we got the ball, you know, with some of the, like McCallman or Finn back, they didn't really have much ahead of them no. to go to. Whereas if Maguire was there, he's very good on the ball and holding it up. So it sort of allows other players to get up the pitch. But I thought he, I don't know if it was a tactical switch or whether that was just something that he decided to do in the game. Um, but I thought he went a bit too centrally and it sort of didn't help help out Finn. And I thought Jack Armour also wasn't very good in this game as well. Yeah, that, I think I think he, he, he had a tough game as well, didn't he, really? I mean, and I think his fear of Archibald for them is a good player, but he wasn't really playing as a sort of orthodox winner in this. We'll talk about that in a sec, actually, because we'll talk about Orient. But a um, couple more little points in terms of United. Um, talk about set-piece threat. It's not been quite as strong this season, hasn't it? And again, for this game, I mean, look at the number of um, corners we had, nine. And yeah, I can't really think of one of them where we had a you know a, a major threat. The only set piece threat I can think is Garner's header from that free kick. So 
what do you think we could actually do to change that and make it like it was last season? They have made, at least to my eye, some attempts to sort of switch things up. And I don't mm-hmm. think there has been, I can't remember which game it was, but there was one game where Mox's, I think it might have been Derby, where Mox's delivery was absolutely horrendous. Yes, but you're apart right. Apart from that, yeah. I don't think he, like, I think the deliveries have actually been fine. I think it's just actually winning the headers that mm. has been a problem. Um, and obviously it was such a big win. Everyone who, especially people who didn't necessarily watch Carlo much last year, will look at us and go, oh, they score so many goals from set, pre- set pieces, that's why they've done so well, which wasn't, it was sort of the case, but wasn't necessarily true. I don't, I don't really know what else they can do because they tried, especially at Bolton, they did like three or four in a row where they went to the front post and they got cleared every time, go to the back post. I think it's just a case of sometimes they fall for you, sometimes they don't. I think just the sort of height of our squad at the moment isn't mm-hmm. as strong, especially when you don't have Huntington there. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm not a set-piece coach. I wouldn't know what to recommend. <laughs> I don't know what else they can do to improve it because I think the delivery's good, been good. I think it's just winning the headers and that's more about physicality and movement. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we mentioned it before, uh, the subs. Um, do you think Simo was a little bit too slow to react in this game? Well, we were saying at half-time, we were expecting a change because it had been pretty lacklustre and it felt like we needed something out there to give us a bit of a kick of the backside. As it was, no change. And I think, I'm looking at the stats here, first change didn't come till the 70th minute when he brought off Gibson, which was a little bit of a surprise for me, actually. And obviously Maguire came off a plunge. And then Edmondson was the, the next one with uh, 10 minutes to go. Did you feel maybe it was a bit of an odd one, this one, in terms of the subs? Well, at half-time, I saw that there was six of the subs were warming up and Plange wasn't there. So mm-hmm. I, my immediate thought was, oh, he's going to make a change at half-time, probably bring yeah. off uh, Garner and bring on Plange. But then he came back out for the, for the warm-up um, and wasn't involved. And the sort of rough football cliche of give you five to ten minutes and then if nothing's changed then yeah. we'll make uh, changes was what I thought he was going to go with but yeah to, to wait 25 minutes when there was nothing being shown in those 25 minutes and the only time we had a bit of spark was when substitutes were made even though they weren't mm. brilliant it just gave a bit of new lease of life to the team I think it was odd and it's something that does uh, uh, can be a little bit when it comes to Simo is he can be a little bit slow at times with substitutions um, mm. I think that I think it was against yeah it would have been against Bolton when all the players were going down with cramp in the midfield and Jaden Harris was sat on the sideline warming up and I was like please bring him on Everyone, <laughs> even if he's not good enough for this level just to have someone who's not going to be pulling up on yeah. the halfway line if they're trying to get back so yeah it was it was odd for me that he wasn't making subs earlier yeah, I think taking Gibson off as well is one that surprised me because I still felt he was our biggest attacking threat. But there must have been a reason. Maybe he's looking at you know the stats they get from the um, GPS things that they wear. Possibly I don't yeah. know. Maybe something wasn't quite right there. But yeah, a little bit surprised that one. Um, before I go to six second reviews, uh, just a quick one about Orient. Um, I thought they were quite a different side from the one we faced last season in terms of the way they played. They were, they were much more. Um, direct and sort of big and physical. But I mean, it really stood out for me how small our front six were compared to them a lot mm. of big defenders in there and you know in, in terms of attack obviously Piggott's a bit lad as well um very good on the set pieces they're really effective on that they look like a threat on every single one of them um my thoughts are, I think that they'll stay up no bother to be honest based on what I've seen there 
Yeah, I'd say the same. I think Richie Wellens, is, as much as Carl fans will loathe the fact that I'm giving him some praise, um, I he's think he's done manager. really well in not. Yeah, he's a very he's a good manager, and he's not only done well in terms of adapting the way his team plays to the level, but also adapting his squad because, like you said, they're such a more of a physical team than they were last year. And I think losing Vigoro as a, as their keeper. Him going to Burnley sort of forced them into a bit of a change because there's not many keepers at this level that can do what he did in terms of playing out from the back. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're a much more physical team, much more sort of game-aware team, and they were set up really well. Um, it's the it's one of the, I'd say, the few games that we've looked completely hopeless, and obviously that was partly down to lack of energy in the squad. But you've got to give Leighton Orient the credit. They didn't allow us to build up any sort of momentum in the game um, and don't necessarily think they had tons of control of it but mm-hmm. they were never losing control of it as well. No, I think you're spot on with that assessment there. Right, uh, let's get our six second reviews then. Uh, we've got Dan and Mike going to give us theirs but first we'll start with young Craig Robson. Here's his six second review. Back to reality. Um, very unhappy football fan right now. A performance like that after such a big run at Bolton is not What's something you want to see? We were second best. We didn't challenge enough and we gave the ball away too easily. We didn't challenge for second balls and we gave them too much time to make chances. We let the ball bounce too much in front of us and we showed no real threat of getting back into the game. I thought Ablade did well when he came on, but yet again we showed that without Callum Guy playing really well, we just fall apart in the midfield. It was disappointing to see Garner play so poorly as he'd played quite well the past few games. Maybe one too many starts for him. Anyway, we just have to show that we can beat them by beating them in the cup. Um, just hope it doesn't become a streak of losing. On to the next one. Up the Blues. Yeah, obviously we've got the FA Cup draw. I forgot to mention that the news actually. Just from thank you, thank oh, you for the reminder there, Craig. I don't know if you were watching it, but I was watching it with my dad and we both went, oh, for God's sake... Oh, as soon as happened, I thought it's just the same as last season with Tramier. I isn't mean, to it, be really? fair, I was thinking, I was hoping as long as it's not Harrogate, it's fine. But they actually got drawn against Marine <laughs> for my luck, so oh, that, that, Harrogate so continues to plague my life. I, I was, I was praying for Marine. I was like, "Come on, Marine away, Marine away would do me just nicely." Yeah, but then that comes up, you're like, "Oh, well, that's just typical, isn't it?" But there you go. Um, yeah, pretty fair assessment there from Craig. I couldn't really disagree with much of that. Um, interesting point about Callum Guy there. I think actually it's it's a good point. Generally, when Callum Guy plays really well, we play well, and he was a little bit off his game, a little bit cold. I think for this one, maybe. Yeah, I think he's been out of the pure central midfielders, depending on whether you class Gibson as a midfielder or not. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think he's more of an attacking midfielder winger, but the pure midfielders, I think he's been the best, uh, yeah. the best of the bunch this season in the squad. Just, I think he's adapted to the league much better. Whereas Mox still gets caught on the ball a bit, trying to do fancy stuff at times. But that's also sometimes what makes him so good. Um, yeah. But I think Guy's been really good this season, and it's one of the few games where I've thought he didn't look as good as he has done. No, I'd agree with that. Right, here's Mike's review of the game. Got to take my hat off to Leighton Orient, really. I think their game plan worked to perfection. They let our defenders have as much time on the ball as they wanted, and we couldn't do anything with it. And then instead, focused all their energy on closing us down with the ball in the midfield, and we just couldn't really do anything with that. I mean, we've come up against teams that do that before, and sometimes you can revert to playing a long ball or playing short, incisive passes in the midfield. 
and we just couldn't do either. They were a much bigger side than us, Orient, and I think ultimately they deserved the victory. That's pretty much what we said. Yeah. <laughs> no real arguments. What Mike said there, he pretty much summed it up quite well, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Uh, here's Dan's review. I know for a fact this is very short because I saw how long it was, so I suspect we're not going to get too much insight here. So here's Dan's review of the game. Absolute dog <laughs> shit. <laughs> there you go. He's, he summed it up quite nicely there, really. I, I wouldn't yeah, argue with that nice at all. Nice and concise. Yeah, straight to the point. But there you go. Um, right, well, we'll quickly run down the, the four, well, three other games that took place in League One this week. That's actually a good point, actually, that in terms of... There was obviously only three other fixtures played this weekend, and that's two international weekends in a row where our game's not being called off. And it probably looks like it'll be free because Barnsley only have two internationals in their squad. Is that a little bit frustrating that maybe we're not taking the chances in those those weekends in that sense? I think the concern is obviously that the team, two of the teams below us, uh, Wigan and Reading, uh, you can sort of consider or might consider them to be sort of out of position because of the yeah. points deductions that they've had. So you, you might automatically think that they're ahead of us by the end of the league. Um, so, yeah, I think the fact that we are building up games and there's, you know, two, one or two games more than the teams in and around us, and yet we're below or in and around the same sort of points is a concern. But it's one of those ones where it's better to have points on the board, but we don't really have many points on the board. So you've got to be <laughs> taking advantage of these games Equally, also would have been nice to have a week off and a bit of luck with these international fixtures. But um, yeah, it's it's one of those ones where you need to be taking advantage of games, especially ones like Leighton Orient, where you probably hope to be in and around where they are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just looking here, I'll see the fixtures on the week. And then uh, Blackpool 3, Stevenage nil. Stevenage is a fairly decent run. Uh well, I'd say it's a decent run, actually. That's their, their third defeat in the last four games, actually. So they're maybe going to start slipping down the table a little bit now, possibly. Yeah. I'm not sure. It's odd that Stevenage and Leighton Orient, despite both being promoted and playing completely contrasting styles in League Two, are doing the same now, but it's the opposite way around. Stevenage mm. look like a much better flowing football team. Yeah. And Leighton Orient a bit more sort of physical and game smart. Yeah, it's where they've adapted. It's, it's quite different, isn't it? Really, it's quite interesting though. Um, Cambridge one, Shrewsbury one, pretty straightforward that one. Um, Lincoln City nil, Burton Albion one. Lincoln's manager Mark Kennedy's left today. I just saw that just before we started recording. Quite surprised that. I don't, There's I been a lot of odd moves in the EFL in terms of managerial appointments yeah. and sackings, things like that. So that doesn't surprise me. I mean, I say it's odd, actually, looking at it. They're only four points ahead of us in the league. <laughs> With two games in hand, but still, it shows they've they've dropped down a bit since we played them, haven't they? Um, Burton Albion, though, it's getting a bit worrying how much their form's picked up, isn't it? Really? When yeah, I know. Well, they, I didn't think that they'd be like so poor at the start of the season because mm. look at some of the signings they brought in. Cole Stockton and um, the last from Barrow, whose name escapes me at the moment, Josh Gordon. Yes. Um, and others. So I was surprised that they were. I know. I think they were pretty poor defensively last year. If I'm, uh, yeah. I'm right in saying that, but don't don't take that as as gospel. Um, but I think they're probably starting to level themselves out a bit as to where the talent of the squad dictates they should be. Yeah, I'm, I'm just looking here. Actually, the last six games uh, form table, and um, your top three at the moment are Portsmouth in first. Oxford United in second, and then Burton Albion a third, and actually Leighton Orient a fourth. So 
you know, it goes to show this is not an easy run of games we've got coming up, I think it's fair to say. No, well, it's not an easy run of games, even though at first, the start of the season, it maybe looked a bit easier. We've played seven of the top ten. And at this mm. stage of the season, it's not like, I know in the first few weeks of the season when Port Vale were first and Stevenage was second or whatever and Oxford United are in there and all teams who are sort of a bit out of place and the likes of Barnsley and whoever were a bit further down the table but you know we're double digit games played played seven of the top ten um, it's not been a great start I think everyone would admit that but it's not yeah. also been horrendous considering the context of who we've played yeah no I think I think you're right in terms of that I think like I said, I keep saying it, but no team's battered us. And, and I think that's the thing to take encouragement from if we can get those reinforcements in in January. Hopefully we can uh, start to turn things on a little bit. Um, well, that's it for the first half of the show. Uh, we'll take a short break and then we'll be back for the second half to look ahead to the Portsmouth game. Hi, it's Ryan Edmondson from Carlisle United and you're listening to the Brunson Bugle. There we go, Ryan Emerson from Carlisle United. has called himself brilliant stuff. Um, right, uh, into the second half of the show. Um, should we do the answers to the question first before we uh, get to the behind the lines one? So here's the question that Mike had again. In 2015, Danny Granger scored a last-ditch right-footed effort to secure a 2-2 draw against Portsmouth at Brunton Park. Who scored our first goal in that game? Now, I thought it might have been Danny Granger scored the other one as well. The only other thought I would have had would have, could have been Charlie Wyke, just because of the timing in terms of the year. Mm. Um, but Andy was just, he just scored goals for fun in that time for Carlos. So there's always a likelihood yeah. that he scored. But yeah, either of those two, that, I think, are solid bets. That or Jason Kennedy. Hmm. Oh, he used to get a few, used to get a few goals from midfield. Then, like you know what, I'm going to go with Danny Granger. I feel like it was a Danny Granger penalty. Something sticking in my head. It was a bit of a debatable one. I seem to remember, but um, let's see what the answer is for this one. And it was Danny Granger from the penalty spot. Hey, there you go. I was bang on. I I just had this memory. I think it was right on the edge of the on the of the area, and Portsmouth were not very happy about the decision. But. Uh, but yeah, good stuff. There you go. That's a little bit of a trick one for you all there for this week. Um, right, on to the um, part of the show where we talk to an opposition fan behind enemy lines. And this week, we're talking to Hugh from the PO4 podcast. Uh, sorry, PO4 cast, I should say. Sorry, uh, explains what, why it's named that uh, when, when you listen to the chat. Um, what do we talk about? Um, talk about the incredible start of the season, which has been quite remarkable, really. Uh, still unbeaten. Uh, we talked about the fact that they managed to keep hold of Col- Colby Bishop this summer. And also the fact that uh, you're going to get a slightly different fan experience when you go to Fratton Park this season, because they've done a bit of work on the away end. So here's the chat I had with Hugh. Yes, here we are with the latest edition of the Behind Enemy Lines section of the podcast. And today we've got a fan from a club that I don't think we've covered on this before because we haven't played them for a few years now. It's uh, Hugh from the PO Forecast podcast, which is a Portsmouth podcast. And we just spoken before we uh, came on there, Hugh, that that's the, the PO4 is the postcode that Portsmouth's grounds in, isn't it? Yeah, I'm obviously really clever when I came up with that. But yeah, that is the, that's the uh, name reason. Yeah, well, we, we, we took ours from an, an old uh, newspaper the club or I don't know if the club ran it or it was an official club one or it was a local newspaper one, but it was a thing that used to be done in the early nineties after the games. So that's where we got ours from anyway, but there you go. Um let's get straight into it. Let's talk about Portsmouth. Uh twelve games in, still not lost, top of league the league one, twenty one goals scored, only eight conceded. It must be pretty terrible being a Pompey fan right now. It's not too bad, is it? I, I definitely can't <laughs> complain. 
I was quite a big fan and supporter of what Rich Hughes, our sporting director, did over the summer and his mm. sort of idea on how to construct a team. So just for just for your listeners, basically, he's our director of football. Then underneath him, he's got John Messina, who's basically our head coach. And that's how mm. our setup works effectively. You know, we're looking pretty good. Obviously, we haven't lost for, what was it, 22, 23 games now. So you can't complain about that. But it's more just the manner of how we sort of tend to control games, which is really really kind of exciting to see really so as a fan base i think even the moaners are pretty (laughs) much on board you know there's always going to be one or two isn't there but so far it's been it's been a great time to be a pompey fan well you mentioned him there already john messina so let's sort of get onto that topic um so your owners made quite a a brave decision in terms of managerial change earlier this year now obviously danny cowley you can understand why he's left on the back of nine games without a win any managers can be in trouble at that point but quite a well-respected name at this level. So then to replace him with a first-time manager, John Messina, was a huge gamble. But I don't know, so I think you say head coach rather than manager, but it's fair to say it's paid off, hasn't it? Yeah, it's massively paid off. And it wasn't really too unexpected when you look at Rich Hughes and his history. He used to be the Forest Green sporting director as well. Mm-hmm. And when he was there, he brought in Rob Edwards, who at the time was oh, yeah, a new manager as well, and also a fairly young, ex- unexperienced manager his first sort of EFL gig as such. And obviously he's now managing Luton in the Premier League and mm-hmm. obviously went up to the championship and et cetera. So the model was there, if that makes sense, for a manager to come in who had the same sort of ethos that he believed in, someone he thought was tactically astute and could potentially sort of, you know, sort of get on with the players at the club. And from there, it's been quite a similar build really on, on how he wants to set a team up. So, Whilst we all on the outside thought, oh, is this a bit of a risky appointment? I think Rich Hughes didn't really have that opinion from the start. Is it quite a difference then from what you uh, experienced under Danny Carley in terms of this style of play? Because I know he, his teams were, I don't know his Lincoln team was, could be quite direct at times. What, what, what's it been like? It was quite muddled, his approach at Pompey, really. And mm. it was quite sad to say, because he's a great bloke and spoken to him and did a lot of work repairing the damage between the fans and the club that yeah. Kenny Jackett had caused effectively. But yeah, his teams were, he wasn't quite sure what he was doing. And I think that a lot of the players complained that there was constant tactical changes, constant formation shifting, players being played in different positions. So John Messino came in really with a, a sort of a set of an idea of how to play. What he wanted to do is very clear for each player. And we, we did our sort of transfer business quite early so the players had quite a lot of time to gel together, which is obviously, you know, done well on the pitch. But yeah. as far as Messino's style of play, he likes to play. You know, we play like a four-two-three-one formation. And from that, we like to control games. You know, we're sort of, we do like to play the ball round and control possession as such. And I mean, just if you look at stats, I think we're fourth according to Opta on 10 plus pass sort of, 10 plus pass sequences. But at the same time, we're sort of also sixth in direct attacks with 19. So we're not going to attack you like, I say, an Ipswich, where we sort of overwhelmed the league last season with just pure creativity and attack. We're a little bit more measured than that whilst trying to control the ball and, and also stop teams out of possession from playing. Yeah. Um, your summer recruitment, you must be pretty happy with it because we, we, pre- we did a preview episode of the division for our pod every summer. And I think all three of the main hosts who were on it, universally, I think we all had you guys finishing top six and we were all very impressed with some of the plays you brought in. 
yeah, but I was pretty happy. And to be honest, again, some of the fans were happy. Some were a bit, you know, unsure. You know, we, we what we did quite well is we've increased our scouting base. Apparently, we really had two blokes going around scouting the whole league. So I think that's been increased to eight or ten now. And also, there's been an increase in recruitment via data. So I know that Cassini Yangi, who's been brought in from Adelaide in Australia, yeah. was sort of scouted through video, for instance, mm-hmm. first. So that that as it in its own shows the sort of the way that we scouted and maybe not just going for the big names who are a bit older and taking a step down which was yeah. something we fall into a trap of in previous seasons and then you look at who we've got in you know Regan Paul you know great signing for us at center back came in from Lincoln their fans are sort of fuming a little bit thought he'd get a championship move but he's definitely at least a championship quality center back and He's just played his first game for Wales. He played against Gibraltar and started there. What he likes to do is he he's can he can carry the ball out from the back. He can pass the ball out. But what it, what that means is he's so able with the ball at his feet that we can sort of draw defenders in, or sorry, draw attackers in, sorry. And that enables us then to play through the midfield, generally via the via the right and left backs. And we brought in Connor Shaughnessy again from, from Burton Albion. And mm-hmm. I was a little bit concerned that maybe coming from Burton, he wouldn't be able to play the sort of higher line that Pompey liked to play, but he again looks great with the ball at his feet. And then in midfield, we've got Alex Robertson in from Man City on loan, another Australian. He's capped for Australia. He's sort of an attacking midfielder, but he can also done a really good job in that sort of eight, six position for us as well. So, I mean, we signed quite a few new players, so it's quite difficult for me to run through them all for you now. So maybe I'll wait to hear your next question and try and filter those in. Well, funny enough, I was actually going to ask you about a player you managed to keep hold of in the summer, um, Colby Bishop. You know, he's a name that straight away stood out to us. Obviously, we're coming up into a new league, but he's a name that I recognise from seeing you know his name listed as scoring for you guys so much in in last season. Uh, how pleased with you the fact that you managed to keep him over the summer? Very pleased. He's a big part of what we do. I mean, he's not, he's sort of a, he's really a total striker up front. Mm -hmm. He's not just that sort of player that you can just cross to or you just play up to. I mean, he's he's good with the ball at his feet. He can bring players into play and he's great in the air, but he's really a poacher in the box as well. So if you feed him the ball, he always finds a way to score, whether it's with your feet or or with his head or or assisting other players. Colby is just a, a raw, pure goal scorer who can also hold the ball up and allow you to build up on, build attack on. So he's a, he's a massive hand, handful, really, for defenders. And he's obviously got the quality to play in the championship. So obviously people can come in and, and purchase him. It would have to be a big offer. We paid half a million quid for him from Aki. That's already looking yeah. like a great bit of business, that is. And yeah, I suppose we'll have to wait and see whether someone comes in and coughs up the likes of four or five million for him in January, or hopefully we can hold on to him. I mean, the aim is to keep hold of him, isn't it? If, you, if you're going to be going for promotion. Let's um, hope so, Lee. <laughs> looking through your squad list, this, this seems a bit of a stupid question because I mean, it's packed with quality, but who are the danger men for us to watch out for this weekend? Other than Bishop, obviously, we've already mentioned there. I'd say you're looking at the two wide players, either side of him in the three. So... Mm-hmm. You've obviously we've got the four two three one, but the two wide players will push up and come a bit narrow as well. So Paddy Lane plays on the right. He's got three goals this season already. He likes to cut inside and shoot. Um on his other foot. He's actually left footed. Abu Kamara play on the other side as well. And he will 
He's got one goal. He's got two assists already this season on loan from Norwich. He's quick, got quick feet, and both of them will try and shift it quickly, either put a ball into Colby or take the ball on themselves and shoot. Alex Robertson was suspended in the last game. No, I already mentioned him, but he's got two assists this season. The ball really sticks to his feet. You can tell he's being Guardiola coached, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, he's absolute class. Marlon Pack's currently injured, maybe a month or two out, so won't be playing. And I suppose just a player to watch, see if he can control the game, is Joe Morell in centre midfield. He's the sort of player that well, he's kind of tenacious, gets on the ball, does pick up quite a few cards. But apart from that, we'll look to try and run the show in the middle there. So he's the sort of player that if he if you let him control a game, then you could be in trouble. Just a lot to see we talk about how well you've done at the start of the season and talk about this quality in the squad. But what, what was the expectations coming into the season? Were you, were you hoping for a, a, a push for that top six finish? Did you expect yourselves to be top of the league at this point? I wouldn't necessarily say I expected us to be top of the league. I actually predicted <laughs> us to come fourth. Okay. So, I mean, expectations at Portsmouth is always promotion. That's where we feel we should be going. Mm-hmm. But I think if you ask me what a successful season is, the minimum is a top six finish. That that yeah. for me is the, what where we should be. We should be finishing. You know, no one's going to complain to the manager, in my opinion, if we get into the playoffs and, and you lose out, you know, against a, a better team or just doesn't quite work out, but not qualifying for the playoffs for, for so many seasons now just means that that was the minimum expectation. And it sort of always has been, but top of the league. No, I kind of expected Bolton to be top of the league. If you want me to be honest. I think we, we predicted Bolton as well to be, I think most of us, I think Bolton and oh, I can't remember what, I think Derby, I think one of us went for as well. So, we, we beat Bolton, so we were quite a bit surprised by that. But there you go. Um, Fratton Park's obviously this weekend. That's where we're coming down to. Um, it's been a while since we've been there. I think five or six years, maybe. Um, fair to say the one time I've been, it, the away end especially, it wasn't in the best of states back then. But I understand there's been a bit of work done to the ground generally, I mean, in, in recent years. Yeah, the away stand's been, is pretty much done now. Um Okay. It's you're walking through something. It, it has a sort of almost Disney vibe, <laughs> Disneyland vibe. It's, it's sort of a mock Tudor look to it. Obviously, our owner used to be the CEO of Disney, so it's a bit of a joke there in that sense. But yeah, it's been it's been revitalised. I think there's a lot of. I think you can actually now get food, go to the toilet, and potentially get a beer there as well. So before it was more like just going into some rickety shed wasn't it on the back of the stand so it, yeah it is a lot nicer hopefully the fan experience is better for your fans as well yeah because it's one of those weird ones you're going isn't it, that it, it i think fans love going to because it it's a proper old school football ground in the similar way that Brunton park is but you guys have sort of been trying to look for a new place for quite a few years haven't you and i think it's kind of got to the point where you've sort of settled on staying at Fratton park haven't you there's been all sorts of weird plans there, there was this one stadium that was looked like a pringle Yes, I remember that one, yeah. Yeah, there was all these CGI's done. It was basically in Gun Wharf in the harbour, literally right next to the sea. And it had like a, I don't know, like a Chanel shop in the CGI underneath the bottom <laughs> of it. I don't know how many people in Portsmouth were buying Chanel handbags, but I think the fans wanted us really to stay at Fratton Park. And there was always a plan before to be able to extend the north stand which is one of the big long stands there mm-hmm. and there is the potential to get it up to you know a thirty thousand plus stadium which is what's needed so we're told that that can happen but it's very much brick by brick slowly does yeah. it with, with our club it's it's 
you know, we're turning a profit generally as a club. And it's not about overspending to get out of the league. It's, it's very much one year at a time, you know, brick by brick is what the owners say. Well, that's actually about the owners then, just before I get your prediction for the game. Um, they seem to have done a really good job. You know, they have to pick up... There's been quite a messy your club over the last couple of decades, hasn't there, in terms of the financial side of it. They seem to really have, have taken, a, as you say, a brick by brick approach of rebuilding the club back up from where it was. Yeah, and, and to be honest... You know, a lot of fans still don't don't like the ownership, so it's a very split basis. You know, you have to go back to the first game of the season when a small minority of fans decided to fly a plane over Fratton Park with a no ambition title over it. So it's not like a unanimous happy clappy family situation with the ownership. I mean, I actually sat down with Eric Eisner, who's on the board and he's son of Michael Eisner, who's the, the official owner and such, and um, had a chat with them about what their aims are. And I feel that they said, he said to me, they were looking to bring in a sporting director and that's what was missing. And I think now that Rich Hughes is here running the playing side of, of the football club, it's a lot more comfortable. And I think when results are going well, then fans actually sort of appreciate it more. Before it was like, yeah, it's okay painting the toilets, but if you're not going to buy any players, then what's the point? So, yeah, it's a little bit mixed, but I think generally people are happy with what's going on across the club. Good stuff. Right, well, uh, thank you very much for your time. You really appreciate it. But before you go, can we get a prediction for this weekend's game? I think I think that you're probably likely to predict for this one. <laughs> yeah, I'm, do you know what? It's, it's a funny one. I'm going to go 2-1 Pompey. We tend to concede a goal, so it's, you know the odds are we probably will concede a goal. If I'm going to go for a player, let's say Owen Moxon gets a goal. He's only got one this season so far. I think he's capable of getting more goals. And I think it will be the first goal. You go 1-0 up, only for Paddy Lane and Alex Robertson to come back and win it for Pompey. That's a more detailed description than we get from most predictions. There you go. Hugh, thanks for your time and all the best for the rest of the season after this weekend's game. Thanks for having us on, Lee. It's appreciated. Yeah, big fans once again to Hugh for giving up his time to speak to us. I also spoke to, to Hugh for the PO forecast as well. So if you want to go and listen to their podcast, you'll get to listen to me talk about United on there as well. Um, right, Adam, let's talk about Portsmouth. Um, straight into it. Uh, what a start to the season they've had. It's just, you know, 12 games in and still not being beaten. Well, not just that. The end of the season they had it's true, uh, yeah. to last season. That I was looking. Uh, they haven't lost a game in the league since the 11th of March. Wow! And that was to Sheffield Wednesday, and they lost the game before that to Barnsley as well. Obviously, the two teams who were in the mm-hmm. League One playoff final. But yeah, 11th of March. So we're what a good seven months since they've lost a league game. I think it's something like 21 games. I think now they're, they're unbeaten, which is quite a remarkable record, really, isn't it, when you look back at it? Um, and obviously, uh, the man in charge there, John Messino, um, was a bit of a surprise one when he was appointed to replace Danny Cowley um, back in, I think it was January when he was appointed. Um, he did an incredible job there, though, wasn't he, when you look at it? Yeah, well, I mean, the record speaks for itself in terms of those so many games without, uh, without losing. I think one of the things you can take from the conversation you had with Hugh is the change in style from the previous mm. manager to Massinho in terms of the previously they'd not been such a, a dominant side they'd be a bit more direct in their build-up play whereas now if you look at any of the sort of statistics uh, look at their uh, control look at their heat map things like that they control games they dictate 
where they play, which areas of the pitch they're going to dominate in, and it's probably going to be the same on Saturday. So Carl going to need to have all the defensive units sorted. Yeah, I, I can see a similarish game to the um, to the Bolton game. Definitely for this one, in terms of the way we play, we're probably going to sit in a little bit deeper than we normally would and maybe look to try and hit them on the break. I think it's going to be a tougher test than the Bolton one because they they can be a little bit more direct, whereas Bolton are very stubborn in the way they play, aren't they? They they insist on this passing mm-hmm. style, whereas Portsmouth are going to have that ability to go along because they've got someone like Colby Bishop there, who's a, a terrific striker at this level, isn't he? Yeah, eight goals already this season, which is, you know, I know we're sort of 11-12 for most teams, uh, games into the season, um, but to have that record so far, he's, and he, it's not like it's a... A year where he's just suddenly sparked alive. He was the same last year as well, so it's going to be a problem keeping him out. But you could have said the same about Dion Charles, and obviously we kept mm. him at bay. Um, so it's one of those ones where we're going to have to be resilient, um, but it's a massive challenge, and anything to come away to come away with anything in this game would be uh, a positive, no matter how we play. Anyone else in their squad stand out to you in terms of uh, people to watch out for? Uh, littered with players they are um, Regan Paul was one that yeah. I think is just such a quality player coming from, from Lincoln which maybe sort of surpri- uh, surprised fans of, of Lincoln and obviously hurt them as a squad but they just look like a team that's built to to, to go up maybe not a team that's immediately built for, for the championship but it's one that's certainly at the, at the top end of this table and it should be yeah, you'd hundred percent expect that when you really the way the way they set up, um, and like I said, in terms of the sub- players are lost over the summer, they didn't really lose anyone major in there. I think it's fair to say. I think they kept hold of most of the squad and additions wise that they brought some like they brought some decent players. Anthony Scully from Wigan, I don't think he was featured too much, um, and obviously um, Connor Shaughnessy from um, Burton. You know, always been a pretty good defender at this level. Um, and, and Will Norris, you know, as a keeper, you know, did pretty well at Burnley in the past and other clubs, I think. So, you know, he, he, he's a, a decent addition for them as well. Yeah. One thing I think was interesting for me to chat with you was the sort of more analytical approach that's been taken to mm. their recruitment in terms of not just going with sort of the strategy that probably Carl will go with where, you know, looking at bringing in players like Maguire who are a bit older and you know more experienced wanting to drop down level but looking for players who are a bit more unknown but fit the way that they want to play even if maybe you know they're not particularly amazing as a solo player but it fits well into the way that they want to play and I think I think that's the way that more clubs uh, should go because it's proven to work and it's an efficient way of running a football club and it's clearly working for them and you can't fault what they're doing so far this season No absolutely not last time out they got a 2-0 win over Port Vale at home, a couple of goals from Colby Bishop in that one. Um, making obviously 12 games unbeaten, we said already. Um, in terms of the head-to-head record, um, it, it's fairly tight. Portsmouth are just ahead, well, a little bit ahead. So we've won 13, 11 have been a draw and 17 wins for Pompey. It's a 42nd meeting between the two sides. Should say though, we've only won once in our last 12 meetings with Pompey. And we last won at Fratton Park in May 1984 with a 1-0 win back then. So... Quite a wait, isn't it, really, in terms of uh, getting another result there? Yeah. What Did you say what the date was for the last time we won, not even at Fratton Park? Uh, oh, not even at Fratton Park. I'm not 100% certain. I feel like that oh, it was a 4-2 win, wasn't it? I think did Jake Jervis scored a couple of goals that day. I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I couldn't remember it, but obviously the last time we won at Fratton Park was 
way before my time, to say the least. Well, while we're talking now, I'm trying to find in my... I've got a little, uh, the Cali United Complete Record to see if I can actually find uh, who scored that day for us. Um, da, 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 da. Did I say May 1984? I don't mean that's quite right, actually. I think I've written that down wrong, possibly. Um, no, that's not the right one. Um, it was March 1984, and the goal scorer was Alan Shoulder that day. So there you go. That's one for the older fans who remember him quite well. Um, right, yeah, so in terms of head-to-head, it, 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 it's going to be a tough one. I think it's fair to say, I think, in terms of getting a result there. Referee for this one is Lee Dougherty from Lancashire. It's quite a long trip to make, isn't it, to Hampshire, for just, mm. just for this game. Um, it's his fifth season as an EFL referee, having started in 2019. Should say he was actually very quickly fast tracked to the championship after one season at League Two level. Um, so he generally takes charge of championship games. So you'd hope, you'd hope he's a half decent referee. Not yeah. convinced, but we'll have to wait and see with that one. He might be one of these ones who was fast tracked because of the whole VAR thing, isn't it? Where they had to push people up quite early because a lot of them were moving on to do yeah. the VAR stuff. Maybe. Yeah. Um, just a little side on. thing. What did you make of the? officiating against Leighton Orient because I think there was a lot of reaction to it but I think it's probably partially spurred by the fact that we were so poor Um, I can't really think of any major poor decisions in that game maybe there was something and I've just completely blanked it out because it was such a bad game but there's nothing that sticks out from me in my head yeah, I think it was more the management of the game that I think people were, yeah. were more upset with. Yeah, but that's... hopefully, you know, we've got a more experienced referee. But we've said that in the past about, you know, people who've officiated at championship level and dropped down and expecting yeah. a, a good game. And then you've got Simo and the thing afterwards refusing to comment. <laughs> otherwise, he'll be paying the FA some more money. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, so this uh, season he's taken charge of eight games so far, handing out 36 yellows and one red. Uh, last season, he handed out 151, sorry, 154 yellows and six red cards in 33 games while officiating... Oh, sorry, that says nationally, but I've left that in back, so I'm sorry about that. Um, yeah, so that was mostly at championship level, that was. Um, only taking ta- charge of one United game previously, which was the 0-0 draw with Bradford City on Boxing Day in 2019, which was Jared Bradford's last, fi- fi- last final game for the Blues. So, uh, so there you go, interesting fact for that one. Um... In terms of overall form, as we said before, they're top of the form table, and surprisingly, with a, having won their last five games in a row and, and drawn the uh, the six one before that, um, United is still seventeenth with a record of uh, drawn, loss, loss, one, drawn, one, lost. And when you look at the last six games, they've got some results against some good teams as well in their uh, Portsmouth. There was a one-one draw at Derby, but then they beat Portsmouth. Sorry, they beat uh, Barnsley three-two away. They've won two one at Wigan. They've beat Wickham two one, and then Port Vale are in a decent season two 0 at home. So, yeah, it's not the fact that they're being flat track bullies, is it? They're getting results against the good teams. That's one thing that stands out. Yeah, they're not like a, a Swindon who have just been pumping teams whenever they've beat them. They just yeah, they just they know how to win, and they're good enough to find multiple different ways to win. One thing from that Barnsley game that I was looking at is the. Uh, momentum bar from that game so sort of the, the pressure being applied and the chance of a goal happening and for the whole first half because Barnsley I think went into half time at 2-0 up mm. it was all Barnsley and then the second half it was just a complete switch and to do that away from home at Oakwell is pretty yeah. damn impressive yeah that just shows you how good a team they are doesn't it um, right uh, time for the play for both section uh, I'll see Dan centers in one this week uh, and if he's what he's told me is right it's an absolute belter so here's the one that dad has picked for the play for both when uh lee sent me over the list of uh 
players who have played for both. There's only ever going to be one winner for this one. And it's uh, Sumo himself, Warren Aspinall. Uh, born in Wigan, hometown, came through the ranks. Got a big money move to Everton. This was when Everton were massive. Uh, didn't play much for them. Uh, went back on loan to Wigan. And he got a move to Aston Villa. Where he did uh, he did decent. But then he, he took the big first sort of move of career when he went to Portsmouth for five years. Uh, played 150-odd games, 20-odd goals. Couple of loans towards the end, Bournemouth and Swansea. He actually uh, moved to Bournemouth for a, a bit before landing up here at Carlisle, where he became a, a bit of a legend for his uh, performances on the pitch and his uh, beer drinking off the pitch. Uh, again, over 100 games for us, popped up with a few goals. He went to Brentford after he left us. Uh, on to Colchester and uh, finished his career at Brighton. He actually had to retire. He got a MRSA following an operation on his ankle that went wrong and he spent nearly a month in a uh, hospital. And, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's quite well documented. His life took a bit of a turn after he retired. Alcoholism, gambling addiction, brink of suicide... Uh, but he went to the Sporting Chance Clinic, became an advocate for the Samaritans and uh, turned himself around, did a bit of scouting and whatnot. And uh, he's quite often on the radio summarising these days, uh, Brighton matches for BBC Sussex. So, uh, yeah, what an Aspinall, what a player. Ah, yes, good old Sumo. Of all the ones to pick, I think when I, cause I, what I do is I generally, I think Dan does it himself, but I also collate together the full list of all the players who play for both clubs. It's not a massive one this week for Portsmouth. And I sent it over and I looked at it and I thought, yeah, that's the obvious name to pick out of there. And I'm, I'm no surprise that he picked a good old Warren Aspinall for that one. Obviously, he's the first one on the list there. There's some, some good names in there, I think it's fair to say. Adam, some absolutely terrible ones as well. Mikey Drennan. He's one to forget, isn't he? I think it's fair to say one of the many loan signings under uh, Graham Kavanagh that was here for about a month and then left again. Um, yeah, there's, I mean, being a League Two club for so long, those <laughs> happen every single year. Likes of, um, yeah. I can't remember his first name, but Sorensen, who played for yeah. Newcastle, came over yeah, basically dreadful. ruined our relationship with Newcastle. Yes, which... Um, um, there's a few names on there. Obviously, Jimmy Glass is the one yeah. that... He had a loan spell. Out. I think he had a loan spell from Palace there at the start of his career, hence why he's listed there. John yeah. Dernan, for some of the younger fans might remember him. He was with us in the ninety nine oh oh season, and he he only scored two goals for us, even though he was a striker. And they're two of the best goals you'll ever see. Go and look them up on YouTube. They're on my YouTube channel actually against Peterborough. One of them was a Bergamp esque chip from the edge of the box, after having shuffled past two players. Genuinely brilliant. And the other one was just a curling one into the top corner from twenty five yards, like ridiculous goals in one game um, but he also famously uh, got sacked after the last game of the season because he'd been out on the piss the night before at Brighton um, so yeah Johnny Dernan uh, Kelvin Atuhu disappeared after leaving us just yeah. completely went out of the game it's one of those where are they now yeah ones it's a really odd one because I, I really like I once he got himself fit I actually really liked him you could see a good player there but the problem is he couldn't stay fit that's the issue yeah 
Uh, Kevin Harper is always a decent player. Paul Harris, don't really say much about him because he didn't really do much. Jake Javis, we mentioned before. Uh, Joe Laidlaw, Scott McGarvey, Vincent Pericard. Was, that's probably the only other club he actually had a decent spell at was Portsmouth other than us. Uh, Billy Rafferty, Jimmy Shankly, a brother of uh, um, Bill. Uh, Steve Soley and Mick Tate to complete the set. Let's talk about United then, Adam. Um, what do you do with this one then? Do you... Uh, as you said before, there's not really much he can do in terms of changing things, can he? I think he's going to stick with a 4 3 3 till Huntington's fit at the very least. So do, you, do you just stick with it as it is now? With the I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be so sure that he's going to stick with it, especially in mm. this game, now that Barkley's come back and had some minutes. Even if he pulls him after 60, it would not surprise me to see him come in and someone like Alfie McCarmont drops the bench. Um, mm. Just because we have no other midfielders just to have that option to bring off the bench and just provides a bit more sort of stability at the back, having those three centre-backs rather than having the, the, the two we've been playing with over recent weeks. So it wouldn't surprise me to see him go back to, to the old ways. And maybe try and get a little bit more out of back and armour as well, possibly, because not been quite as yeah. effective as, as full-backs, I think. Yeah, my dad said to me at the weekend, there's there's one chance that Finn back had. I can't remember exactly how good it was but I think he maybe hesitated to take a shot on or something like that and he just he needs a goal because yeah. there's been so many opportunities I think when he got injured at, um, at Salford I was there yeah. for that game and he had such a good chance I think did he hit the post yes something? I think his chance hit the post didn't it or something like that yeah, yeah. From the, from when he got I think injured. if he just gets a, a, a goal or assist because when he first came into the squad before he got injured he was going past people like like no one's business yeah um when he first came in so to get that confidence back because that's one thing I think he has the edge over Jack Ellis for when he's fit um, yeah. is that confidence going forward so hopefully that yeah. can be reinstilled soon yeah you'd really really do hope with that and I think it's a fair point maybe there is an element of do you bring in Barkley and like I said maybe sacrifice McCallum or Gibson possibly for this game in terms of up front we sort of mentioned before maybe you know is it time to rest going after those three games and if you do who do you bring in and look at Personally, I think I'd like to see Edmondson come in. I thought Edmondson did quite well when he came on against um, Orient. Plange less so, but Simo seems to rate Plange a bit more at the moment, doesn't he? Yeah, I, yeah. there's obviously something's gone on. I can't remember what... Uh, it might have actually been the game we lost to Harrogate when mm. Simo really started to publicly get annoyed about Edmondson mm. not actually playing as a striker. And you see it whenever he plays. He's not. It's the one really annoying thing is the two tall strikers we have both are really not great ahead in the ball. <laughs> winning headers were Sean Maguire who's I don't know how tall he is, but he's not you know he's not a giant and he goes up yeah. and holds the ball up and wins headers. Same with Joe Garner. So I think Plange has the ability to be better. He's probably one of those ones where he looks really good in training that's why he gets picked but then when he comes up against very good opposition he just can't I just don't think he has decisiveness on the ball he just looks a bit skittish No I, I think you're right um, it, it's a bit frustrating one with him um, you'd imagine maybe Butterworth's possibly played himself into a place on the bench as well maybe for this one yeah. with his performance in the reserves Yeah If you were going to make a change to starting eleven, would it be bringing in a defensive reinforcement or do you think it'd be changing up the forwards if it was me personally, I'd bring in Edmondson for Garner. I'd tell him, stay in the middle. 
don't don't be going out wide. Or or maybe I'd offer him the chance to say, right, you and you and Maguire can almost interchange in the way you play. One of you be out wide and one's in the middle. But you've got to work together on that. And Gibson obviously would stay out wide then. Yeah, I'd probably stick with that. It's a tough one. Though. I, I can agree with you. Maybe bringing Barkley and Wood help things a little bit at the back possibly there. I'm not I think, sure. I think from what Simo said, it seems like he's already told Edmondson to stay down the middle, but it doesn't seem yeah. to have had too much effect. I think, yeah, I think if he's going to... Especially when that first game of the season, when Plunge came in straight away, having only joined the club a couple of days before, and the fact that Edmondson wasn't even in the squad, I don't even, I don't think that was down to injury. If my memory serves me yeah, right, yeah, but there's a suggestion it was a disciplinary issue, possibly off the pitch. But yeah, I'm not 100 yeah. on that one. I think with Edmondson, it's such a, an odd one because a lot of the goals he scored in pre-season were tap-ins, like you know, played across the mm. box, standing on the centre, doing the uh, job, yeah, this punk spot rather. Yeah, it's frustrating because he was actually doing the job of being in the middle, as, exactly. as, as Tim was asking for. So, yeah, it, it's, it's frustrating that he's not really carried that on into the season. But there you go. Um, just before we do predictions, just looking ahead to these next six games. Like I said, Burton's looking a tougher game than we thought. But it's at home. It's on a Tuesday night. So you kind of hope we may be able to get something from that. Um, Cambridge away looks a big one now because they're really dropping down the table, aren't they? And that's potentially why you look and think, right, maybe we can get something from that possibly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think they were probably, at the start of the season, one of the teams you'd have picked to be in and around a relegation battle, considering they scraped it yeah. at the end of last season and lost people like Lloyd Jones, who was such a, a key defender for them. Um, so it's good to see them getting back to where they should be, which is in and around us. Yeah, that's what we want, isn't it? We want to drag them into the fight as well, but there you go. Uh, right, prediction time. Um, so... Nothing's changed in terms of the prediction table. Um, I got it wrong last week, actually. Both me and Dan are on seven points, not eight points. But Mike is still on no points for this season, and none of us got it right last week. Shock horror. Um, Adam, do you want to ever go for your first prediction first? Yeah. Do I be realistic, or do I think, you know what, Sibo can do something here? I think we've got to be, we've got to have some sort of positivity going into this game because it cannot get any worse than when we played against Leighton Orient. And if it is as bad as that, it could be a cricket score. Um, so I will go with a 1 1 board draw. Who are you going to go for goal scorer? I will go with Joe Garner. Joe I think Garner, this is a game where he's just going to could just latch onto something I think he will start because I don't think Simo trusts the others at no. all no I think you're, you're probably right with that one but there you go um see I did with the Pompey guy and for their part I said there's one thing Kyle United are good at it's ending when it, wending runs of teams whether it's bad runs they're on or even good runs and I'm going to go for us to end that run and I'm going to go for a 2-1 win with goals from Owen Moxon and oh, who's going to get the other? Well, we do it every week, so I might as well do it again. Sam Lovell's finally going to score a goal from a corner because he's been threatening it for a while. But um, I was but, yeah, thinking that. I, I, I was so close to going for a defeat this week. I don't think I've ever predicted us to be beaten and I thought just for the points I might go for it. But no, I'm going to be the optimist and I'm going to go for that. Uh, right, here's Mike's prediction for the game. I've got to take my hat off to Leighton Orient, really. I think they're... No, it's not. That's the, <laughs> the wrong one because I've got similar names to them. That's Mike talking about the Oregon game. Here's Mike's prediction for the game. I'm going to go for a 1-0 win with Sean Maguire getting our goal. 
God, we're hopeless optimists, aren't we? Uh, and completely set, here's Dan's prediction. On paper, probably the hardest fixture in the division at the moment. Portsmouth for something like 23 in a row and beaten over the tail end of last season and start of this season. But this is Carlisle United. We don't do things simply. We got turned over at home last week. So let's flip it round and go for a 1-0 smash and grab and a goal from Jorgana. Well, there we go. Dan predict- completing the set with his prediction there. Um, right, let's wrap up this week's show with uh, the X-Files section, Adam. And n- not a huge one to cover, but some very interesting ones in this week, I think it's fair to say. Starting yeah. with the goals, let's start with the best of the lot. Uh, he's a fairly recent ex-Blue, but um, he's enjoying life at Maiden United, isn't he? Toby Show Silver got a hat-trick for them in the FA Cup uh, fourth qualifying round uh, with a free to help them to a 3-0 win at Western Super Mare. Lovely stuff to see uh, Toby getting a hat-trick, isn't it? He's such a lovely bloke, isn't he? He is, yeah. Like, he, even with, he, wasn't, he, he was involved in a lot of good moments, mm. that, like um, Tranmere away. Was yeah. it two seasons ago? Gibson shot, yeah. rifled back to him, and we equalised in the last minute after their fans were throwing the ball back into the stands <laughs> yeah. to waste time. Um, yeah. But he, yeah, he's just such a lovely guy, and I'm, ha- I'm happy that he's doing all right at this level because yeah. obviously League One was not going to be for him. Um, but close to home for him, and yeah, it's good to see him doing well. You mentioned the Tranmere away game the other season, but actually the Tranmere FA Cup game last season where we had no strikers fit and he came in and played that 45 minutes up front and he could barely run in the second half and he just basically went and did a job, didn't he? He was just That just summed up what kind of guy he was, a really, really spot-on guy. A uh, bit more FA Cup qualifying. Um, Canice Carroll, he's getting a few goals this season. He scored for Oxford City in their 2-2 draw at Scarborough in the FA Cup Qualifying. I think they got beat in the replay, though, didn't they? I think Scarborough won the replay, possibly. I can't remember. Or Scarborough were winning at the very least when I last checked. So maybe they've Oxford won it. I don't know. But um, but there you go. Uh, Brad Young, uh, he scored a goal for the New Saints as they drew two two with East Fife in the Scottish Challenge Cup. Yes, I know Welsh team in the Scottish Challenge Cup. It's a, it's a weird one, isn't it? But um, they are, they they were sorry. They then won the game five four on penalties. Dave Symington, he scored the equaliser for Workington as they drew 2-2 at Matlock Town. And then my favourite one of the week, Keith Millen got himself sent off uh, in his role as Gillingham a caretaker. Um, if anyone hasn't seen this, then you must be living in a cave because it's been all over social media. So essentially, ball goes out for a throw-in just in front of the dugouts at uh, the Bescott Poundland Stadium, whatever it's called these days. And as the Walsall player runs in to try and pick up the ball... Basically, Millen takes him out. Does he? <laughs> it's it's such an odd. It's so odd. It's but it's such like a a Joey Barton thing to do. And there is no ounce of Joey Barton inside that man in terms of you know aggressive Very fire. Mad, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah it's, it was such a. I don't know what you made, but I I wrote a piece for Football League World. It was a little plug, but I, it's a Football League website who I write for mm-hmm. um, about the fact that. Gillingham were in the, I think they were sixth at the time, they sacked their manager. Yeah. Um, hadn't, I think it maybe only lost a couple of games, but it scored the least amount of goals in the division, basically same. Why I thought it was actually a good decision for them to do it. Um, but to bring in Keith Millen, just just such an odd 
thing to do. I don't yeah. see why you couldn't have just maybe promoted from within temporarily. Yeah, just he's got no he, record of being good. I, th- is he, I think he was doing some sort of recruitment work for them, wasn't he? But I don't think he was. I don't know if he was coaching or not. There, he just felt a very strange decision. I know he got a good result in his first game, but they got battered at Walsall, didn't they? Four one. So it's yeah. kind of yeah, a bit of an odd one. He's been charged by the FA over it now as well, actually, which. I actually think it's a little bit harsh because I think for me he's just trying to get the ball, isn't he? He's not trying to trip the man really. Nah, but it's just endangering an opponent. Yeah, maybe that's the argument, but there you go. Uh, on to the other bit, just a couple of bits there. Uh, Jared Branthway and uh, James Trafford both started the uh, for England 21s in their games. Uh, the first game was a 9 1 win over Serbia, followed by a 3 2 defeat away to Ukraine. I think the Ukraine game would be played in Poland, I presume, wouldn't it? Because they're not playing the games yeah. in Ukraine right now. So, uh, yeah, so contrasting uh, fortunes in those two games for the two Cumbrians there. And uh, finally, this one uh, broke earlier this week. I love this one. Uh, Pascal Shimbonda has been appointed as the new manager of Skelmersdale United. Uh, his first game in charge is actually tonight, as we record, against uh, Kendall Town. So while we're doing that, I'm just going to quickly check what the score is in that one. Um, I'm just going to get Kendall Town's Twitter page up, because um, I'm sure that'll have it up there. But... Uh, yeah, it's, he's one uh, of those ones that every club has. That it's like that he actually played for us. Like people look back on it yeah. and have maybe been told by by their parents or older siblings or something like that. And you go, Pascal Chimbonda <laughs> played for Carlisle, and he's yeah. now he's managing Skelmersdale. Yeah. Pas- it's seven, such an odd career path. Yeah. Seven years after being sat on the bench in a World Cup final. Pascal Chimbonda was playing for Cal United. It, it just it just seems bizarre. I you know some people think he wasn't that good for us. I thought he was all right because considering he was playing centre back as well in a not very good team, he was an experienced player that we really needed. Just the quality around him wasn't great. That was the problem. Um, just check there. Uh, Kendall won three one against Skelmersdale in the Macron Cup. So a tough start for yeah. Pascal there, but um, I'm sure he'll do okay there. He seems a determined kind of fella. So good luck to him there. Um, and that's it for this week's episode. Adam, thank you very much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been uh, been good to get involved and hopefully hopefully we'll be allowed back on at some point. Oh, we'll definitely have you back on at some point, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's uh, coming up in terms of uh, other episodes. We'll have a review of the Pompey game this weekend with a Burton Albion preview. And uh, we're, we're going to try and sort some of these bite-sized bugle episodes out at some point. I'm going to try and work out how we do those. But, um, but yeah, just another... Shout out as well to our sponsor, the London Badge, for their support this season. Really appreciate it. Uh, and thanks to you all for listening once again. And, uh, of course, up the blues. Up the blues.